I actually don't have wax in my ears. I've always amazed the doctors when I was a kid. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> New fact you heard the Josh. intro, didn't you, Josh? He never yes. has had wax in his ears. Oh, the, oh this old one. Oh, oh my god. Everybody's got some wax, but you just said waxless you ears. I actually wow. don't have wax in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> What's great is that Josh immediately took off his headphones as soon as he started hearing that. <laughs> Couldn't listen to it again, could you? Josh? Nope. No? Really? You, you start off doing a little lip slap pop? Yep. Meet me by my Prius after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds real threatening. <laughs> there will be a body in the back of his car this time. Oh, uh, so creepy. you might have heard of a couple different voices already, and this is a packed room compared to what we normally have. So Josh is somewhere on my right, but before Josh, we have Heather and Andy Peterson that are joining us. First time here. They were supposed to be with us earlier, but, you know, It's nice happen. to be with you. Thanks for having us. Yes. And then we got Josh, and then we got Pastor Dave again. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, we have another one here, uh, Mr. Oh. Peter Hansen. Hi, Hi Peter. Hi, Peter. <laughs> and then we got Aaron Johnson, of course, and myself. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not changing my spot. Nope. <laughs> no, not you're not happening. changing your spot. Never giving up for anyone. Nope. All right. Never gonna give you one. <laughs> oh my goodness! You're gonna get us a copyright strike, aren't you? Thanks That's for that. Here for. Yeah, you do that, I'm letting you know, and you're going to be the one to clean that up with legal. <laughs> so this is kind of the, the last episode of May that we're doing on mental health type thing and just kind of a bigger discussion on people either who have had mental health, helped people with mental health, or have just varying you know, experiences with, along the way through that. But before we get there, of course, we have to have – you know, Aaron's favorite thing every week, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is it this week? Okay, well, this week, like I said, you can use anyone in the room to help you with this without right, using Pastor, get ready. without using a phone. <laughs> they can't use a phone to look this up. Sorry, I got my computer. You can't use your computer. No, so you, you chose Pastor Dave to help you with this word? Pro- pro- I don't know. It's an older English word. Yeah, yeah, am I your me. phone a friend on this one? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are. <laughs> so your word, Maybe. this it's an old British English word. The word is merry thought. Merry thought? It's a noun. I'll Mary tell you that. Merry thought or marathon? Merry thought. M-E-R-R. Y T H O U G H T. Mary thought. You confer wow. with your confer, confer with your. So what do you think it is? Good job. A happy Good thought. That's that's I, all I can think. Of. <laughs> when I think of Mary, it's like oh yeah, woo. Think I, it's a happy thought. It's unfamiliar to me. It's the wishbone of a bird. What? The merry thought is the wishbone of a bird. Really? Yeah. They can't just call it something. A wishbone? It, it's an old English, an old British word, English British word for the wishbone of a bird. I think we have a new word for Thanksgiving now. <laughs> <laughs> I want the merry thought. That was going to be my second guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I was like. It's like, I have to bring up a weird archaic English word because otherwise, mm-hmm. what, what someone else would know it other than. <laughs> And you could pick up <laughs> any I don't word. know much of anything. So, so. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. Didn't help you at all. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> That's all right. Part of the fun is just hearing Aaron as he tries to explain what he thinks everyone is. Which that one wasn't I had that yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That one's not that bad. No. That's a that's a I don't know. That's a weird word. All right. So Mary thought. I, I see that everyone around the room kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it, it's a little different. Do. Yes. I'm a podcast rookie. <laughs> you, you know what? Um all of us here are pretty much, you know. You know, it's nothing that's crazy. Oh, Mental Health Month is coming to an end. And actually, last week was Mental Health Week within Mental Health Month, which is weird. It's a little redundant, it seems like. <laughs> is there a day for it, too? Or no? Does uh, it not go that in depth? I don't know. Maybe there's an hour and a minute for it, too. I don't know. Let's take a look. But we can do that later. Google. We don't have to Google right now. <laughs> so we have... Uh, like I said, I already kind of said the names around the room, but except for Pastor Dave, who has been here before, we know him because Josh described him as our pastoral friend who is the biblical teacher <laughs> at a church. <laughs> who's who's a staff yeah, here, no, no, part no. of the staff here at the church that we go yeah. to. Yeah. Um, I figure just give if you each want to take just a few seconds, introduce yourself and why you agreed to come on even. <laughs> So we, we can. Want. Who wants to start? Heather, Peter, who wants to start? I'll go first. I suppose. Andy goes first. Okay. Uh, my name is Andy Peterson. Um, I've known Paul for many, many years. Aaron and Josh, many, many years. And uh, I was thrilled that, uh, that Paul asked us to uh, come in and share our thoughts today. Um, uh, sitting next to me is my lovely wife, Heather. Hi. We've been married for. Uh, Going on almost 20, 20 years. years. It'll be 20 years in December. Oh, Makes wow. me feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> Heather and I have five lovely children together. And uh, we've been, uh, let's see, we've been members of fellowship here. Well, 20 gosh, years. It'll be 20 years, yeah. 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 Wow. It'll be yeah. 20 years next March. Okay. Heather, do you want to say anything else or you just want to? Um. Well, I think he covered it. Okay. I've I've known you guys just as long as Andy has because yeah. <laughs> we're a pair. We came together. So, yeah, exactly. um, yeah. Yeah. And so the reason I asked Andy and an exception Heather, you know, Heather has a medical background, mm-hmm. um, um, not in psychology, psychiatry, no, just general meds, right? Registered nurse, some yes. Of the medical side of things. yes. Not, not you're not licensed in that regard, but Andy is. Um, when I re- referenced earlier, you know, one of the guys that I talked to and kind of helped me get the ball rolling on getting treatment. So that's one of the reasons why I asked Andy. And in turn, because I talked to Andy, I knew Heather knew everything as well. So she, it's again, like it's, Heather said, it's a package deal. And I know that's that. right. Boom. Going forward. We already know Pastor Dave here. And I, and I asked him here as well because he was the one who actually <laughs> got me the hospital visit and drove me to treatment. You betcha. <laughs> you know? And then uh, we have Peter. Peter, do you want to introduce yourself, mm-hmm. sir? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Get closer to the mic and talk into it. Tell us your name, Peter. <laughs> Start with your name. My name is Peter Hansen. Are you okay. sure? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Pretend there's no mic in front. You're just talking to us, man. Uh, well, I'm 16 and I've been attending this church for probably almost 10 years now and known, well, 
all you for probably about that long. And uh, I'm basically just a little Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, joy. (laughs) Yeah. There's a running joke between me, Aaron, and Josh that Peter's a little Aaron and um, Jonah's a mini Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Because they both spend copious amounts of time on their hair. The whole of that and just, <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> Even though Josh doesn't have any hair, really. Well, right now. Remember, yeah, this is probably right. too long for him. Yes, go get a cut again. <laughs> cut, oh. So when's your next appointment? Next, next week. week. <laughs> ah, yep. So, and, and the reason I asked uh, Peter here is he kind of, he has some fun experience with with uh, being one finding out mm. one of his youth leaders had was dealing with depression was in the psychiatric hospital at one point, and then uh, having some friend a friend going through some issues, you know. And so I just wanted to say, hey, come on over and let's uh, chat on the the recording. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> you don't have, you don't have to go. Thanks for having me on. We're just Jeez. glad you're here, man. <laughs> Yeah. So I and I so I and I've shared kind of some of my uh experience with mental health uh on the one recording that sounded like we were underwater because of the issues we had that week with recording, but Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe at some point I'll maybe next year I'll go back and re record that uninterrupted without Josh and Aaron's commentary. But <laughs> higher bit rate it sounds better. <laughs> I mean <laughs> So that's why I asked them to all to come on here. Just, I guess, even start off, you know, you know, from Andy and and Heather, your perspective, you know, when and it, I, I'm I, and we could start off when I was going through, you know, the fun, like my fun time, let's call it, the depression, suicide, and all that, you know, that one year. Just, what are some thoughts? What were maybe even some challenges that you saw from you know trying to help someone with that you know some of those things that you've seen that you've struggled with you know and like josh even shared you know when he first found out about it, he was like well why can't you just suck it up buttercup <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and we're i'm not taking none of us are taking anything personal here so say go well for me uh, when you know when you when you called me i my, my first thought was well what you know, where do I turn? What, who, who can I call? Um, you know, you, you watch TV and you see the commercials for you know, suicide hotline. Um, and I thought, well, maybe that's an option. So I, I called the number and I actually got put on hold for quite a while. It was over an hour. It was a long, long time. And I thought, you know what, if for somebody who really needs help, it was scary. To yeah. Be thinking if somebody was in crisis that to be waiting on hold for over an hour, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so clearly had a lot of calls coming in that day, which is really sad when you think about and, it. And it was unfortunate because in the end it was, well, if he's, if, if, if it's really as bad as you say it is, he just needs to go to the emergency room. Right. And so, but for me, I just, I felt compelled to just be there as a friend for Paul. Just, I just wanted to be there to, to listen to him. You know, I don't have, I didn't have, um, the perfect solution. Um, I, you know, it's hard to come up with the words to, to, to tell somebody, um, especially when you, you know, I'm not a licensed counselor. I, I, I don't always know what to say, but, um, for me, I just felt it important to, to, to just be there for him and, uh, to offer whatever support that I could. So, yeah. 
And from my perspective, it was Andy coming to me saying, Heather, I don't know what to do. What resources are out there? And that's where with my medical background, I can say, okay, where are we at mentally? Is he truly suicidal? If that's the case, we need to either go to the emergency room, take him there, or we can make some phone calls to see if he could be admitted somewhere. Yeah, I remember all that. Stuff. Yeah, but even that process for people who are going through it, the admitting process is very lengthy. Um, it's not an easy process. It takes hours. Yep. <laughs> you know, you experienced that. We've experienced that with one of our children several times where from making that first initial phone call to the specialist or um, calling for us, we called the facility uh, right away. It, you know, they have to, they have an intake counselor that takes all the information and then they take that message and give it to a provider there. And then that provider then makes the decision, yes, we will admit this person. And then they, they call you back, set up a time to actually go through and admit. It's it's very lengthy, and you have to just be patient with it. Which seems counterintuitive to the whole point <laughs> of this is someone who's on the verge of saying, I want to end it all. Right. Now wait. <laughs> right, right. And even going through the emergency room, it's the same process that they have to follow. You go into the emergency room, they're required by law to hold you for four hours where they're going to make sure that you're safe. And then for us, we used a different facility. So then they went through that same process of calling, having a provider admit you. So it was hours and hours that way too. So you just have to be patient. There's it, there's a process. It, it You know, I've, I've, I've helped a number of people get help. And um, there's such an urgency emotionally with a person who is feeling that way. And you expect to hit the hospital and have them have the same urgency. But as I, I kind of, you know, think back through the different experiences, the hospital does know that, okay, you're here, which just the fact that you are there eliminates most of the possibility that you will immediately harm yourself. And... And so just the fact that once you show up at the door, you're, you're, it's, it's, you, you don't have the availability to hurt yourself. And then, you know, they realize that this takes time. I, I, yeah, I've been frustrated a couple different times where it's like, okay, a couple, three days before anything of anything happens. It's like, wow, this is a traumatic thing, but that's. Just the system runs kind of slow to start yes. with, and, and I don't know why, but it does. But getting getting someone who is considering self harm, just getting them there, that's that's your step, because because yeah. you you immediately then um, remove the the opportunity, and and that's 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 your first big thing. Yeah, because like I told you on the way up, I was like, I'm fighting not to open the door and just like <laughs> jump out of the vehicle. I didn't want to go. Right. That's why I drove. Re- that's why I drove really fast so that you couldn't. Again, goes back to that logical and emotional part of the brain. I knew I needed to go, but the emotional side was like, no, 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 no. That that is why it's helpful to have family or a friend or someone shepherd you through that process just 
so that so that it kind of takes some of that decision making process away. Once once and I think that's anybody that listens to this. If once somebody makes a phone call to you, um, do something. Yes. Uh, step in. Yeah. Well, it's not my place. Yeah. If, if someone contacted you and told you this, it's your place. And <clears throat> the yeah, alternatives so, so could be a funeral. Own yeah. Own yeah. that person. And, yep. You know. I interestingly enough, this week one day on Facebook. Um, one person that, that I kind of helped through this um, celebrated their recovery from from feeling this these things. Phenomenal. On that same day, a friend um, of my kids from college and a friend of mine, three equally, committed suicide. Same day. Same day. And so it's it's one of those things that <clears throat> you t- you take ownership. Of those moments, um, and I think that's that's a, an important thing. As for much me, as you can. For me, when when you called me, I, my, my first thought was I got to keep him on the phone. Uh, you know, I felt like a nine one one dispatcher where they're like, "Hang, stay with me, don't go anywhere," because I thought if I can just keep him on the phone with me, he doesn't have this moment by himself where he might mm-hmm. might hurt himself. And then I said, "Hey, man, I, I got to. I'll call you back. I'm going to make some phone calls. I'm going to try to get you some help. Let me help you." And, uh, and we stayed in, in close contact. There's a lot of back and forth calls that night. And, and, and I'm just, I'm thankful that it worked out oh. in the end the way it did. And <laughs> we're happy that you're here, Paul. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here too. Trust me. <laughs> you know, I, I never, like I've, I've said multiple times, I never want to go back to how I was feeling that way again. Now, that being said, I know it's a possibility for me because I have been there before. If my medication is as effective or when I put in practice uh, the various treatments I learned in inpatient and outpatient, that's always a possibility again. Right. I need to be honest with myself when I'm getting into those situations. That's not always the easiest thing to do. It's not always the easiest thing to just reach out. You know, and, and one of the things um, that was, I think, interesting from last week, uh, you know, that I, one of the articles I found was that, and this one might be interesting. I don't know if you know this, Pastor Dave. Uh, it was an article I was reading, and it said that, you know, it said about 68% of pastors, they have like a list of like resources to get help for people, but less than a third of the parishioners know that those resources even exist or that their pastoral staff even has knowledge of said resources. Yes, that's, that's I, I could see that, yeah. You know, and I, I think and I think we, we had kind of a little conversation mostly between me and Aaron on this one last week where, you know, uh, where Aaron was of the mindset that, if you even advertise that those resources are available, that it might make people feel targeted for it. You know? Oh, it could. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on who it is, I suppose. You know, I'm, I said, that was a, that point of uh, disagreement, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What? Wait, we I did. thought you disagreed with something else. Oh, I disagreed with something else too. Oh, okay. I I, I okay. also disagreed with the fact that um, I said sometimes it is a depression that it can be related to a spiritual aspect or something. Yeah, and where you were kind of pointing at that it kind of almost always is. No. Okay, that, no. that's what I was getting from you. Oh no. Okay, I was getting the. Okay, I was getting yeah, vice versa. All right. Sometimes, no, yeah. I say, yeah. Sometimes I would say that could be the case as well. But no, yeah, not always. Okay. The so, case. so that's why I was disagreeing oh. with you on last week as well. Because yeah. that's not always the case. No, it's not. 
I know that's yeah. definitely the case for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you two want to arm wrestle over this? We'll, we'll, we'll okay, just, just check it out. <laughs> no, no, we won't. What, what we'll I'm do is we'll dog so pile on Aaron now. after the conversation. Oh, I'm so confused now. <laughs> All right. It's okay, Aaron. That's why we love you. Mm. Speaking Aaron. of Aaron, we got mini Aaron next to him. What up? Uh... <laughs> 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 Feels good to have someone like me on here. Oh, buddy. <laughs> that can be scary. So, uh, I, I guess, Peter, from your perspective, then, and say whatever you want, thoughts and everything, okay? You don't have to filter yourself too much. Uh, just don't make that. me have to put the explicit tag on anything, please. Because, <laughs> 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 well, no, that is an option. When I upload, I might have to, yeah, like, no. there are some times when you have point. to do that. Or, like, if we went by TV-style ratings, we're not even talking about monetization. No, yeah, so I have to pick from, like, yeah. everyone, youth, uh, mature suitable for teens i have to pick like tv style ratings as well <laughs> when i upload what it, yeah there's a whole Weird. there's a whole other subworld in this you know post recording here johnson but wow mr peter my question for you and and i'm just asking questions to try to get a conversation started so what was i guess what boom who was that <laughs> that was the pastor of course who else, who else causes trouble? <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't 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 tell Penny. Please. Uh, Peter, back to you. Uh, after we were interrupted by a little gunshot or whatever that was from Pastor Dave causing problems. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. You don't know what's causing sounds over there. Well, I, I guess you've had not so much that you've shared at least, okay, That where you've dealt with this yourself or anything, but you've had an interesting where you've had a friend or and friends who have dealt with this as well as you find out one of your youth leaders was in <laughs> psychiatric hospital for this as well. You know, kind of maybe give some of your thoughts on that. How's that been for you either, you know, for, you know, maybe some of the difficulties with that, you know, even, you know, and what you've done to maybe process through some of this. And maybe if there's someone else out there, like your age listening, who's dealing with this, if you have any advice, potentially. Uh, that's a lot to chew on. Okay, Can I ask a, a preview question before you get to those? How, w- within your high school world, how common is, do you think, depression and, and, and tru- truly struggling? Mean, yeah, everybody gets sad. Yeah. But, I mean, how how... How common do you think that is, and how much is is it spoken of among the kids? Um, well, I'd say, as a lot of people call it, fake depression is really, like, I guess popular right now. Okay. But, um, you know, I guess a lot of people say they're, you know, like you said, people get sad. But that's, I can tell that it's right. the people... Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but, um, and I feel like the people who really struggle with it don't say anything and it's a lot more common to see just the people, you know, who are sad, just talking about it than the people who are actually dealing with real so things. The people and, who are really dealing with it withdraw yeah, and they're, versus they which, don't say anything about right. it. Right. Yeah. Interesting. 
And that's unfortunate. You kind of seen that, you know, even on social media and that where it's real popular to say, oh, I'm depressing that. And they're doing it for fake mm-hmm. social, social, media. social media points. Yeah. Okay. That, that's, that's helpful. Do you, do you think, do you think other kids when they see withdrawn kids de- dealing with depression, do you think they even notice or are they just going on with their life and they're the quiet kids that sit off in the corner? Oh, um, or haven't never really thought about it. Partly, partly that never, never thought about it or just don't know what's going on, I guess. Yeah, no, it's good. Okay, back to Paul's question. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. Oh, so you brought up something good. So I brought this up. Um, it's from the Department of Human Health Services, you know, from the government. Um, this is from the latest is from 2017 where they have data. So percent of, percent of high school students report they have felt sad or hopeless almost every day for two or more weeks in a row, so much so that they stopped doing their usual activities. In 2017, it was 31%. Wow. I believe that. Uh, 21% uh, males and 41% of females. Wow. I believe that completely. And I say that from watching our children. We have two children who are teenagers. Seeing their friends, hearing their stories, a lot of them suffer from depression. It may not be severe depression, but, you know, a lot of them are coming from really awful broken homes with a lot of baggage. And that's a lot for anybody to deal with, much less going through your high school years. That's a lot to and, handle. And going back, Pastor Day, to your question to Peter, um, having, you know, one of our children, you know, suffer from depression for quite a while. He suffered in silence for a long time. Yeah. He didn't talk about it. You know, he, he was really good at hiding it. And, um, it wasn't until he came out to us and said, I need help that we really, you know, we perked up and said, Oh my goodness, we, we've got to do something. Yeah. That was, uh, I remember all that fun as that happened. Yeah. So just some more stats from the government here. Percent of adolescents aged 12 to 17 who report they had one major depressive episode, 13%. So not just feeling sad, but where they had a major depressive diagnosis that where it gets even, we, uh, I shouldn't say weird, worse. Percentage of high school students who report they seriously considered attempting suicide in 2017, 17%. Wow. 22% of females and 12% of men. Percentage of high school students who wow. report they attempted, su- they actually attempted, not thought about, but they attempted 9% of females, 5% male, 7% total population. And percentage that tried through like overdose and poisons was 2%. So, you know, they separate those out. So really that's like 9% total. That's sad. It's very, it's very sad. sad. So back to, you know, Pastor Dave's question where he's asked like how many people is, are really suffering with this in the U.S., you know, in the schools. A lot. Yeah. Now, and maybe this is the one bright spot of this. The depressive numbers are going up. But the suicide numbers of contemplating and attempting, according to the government, from 2015 to 2017 are actually going down. That has to do with education and the fact that people are beginning to talk about it Uh, rather than this, you know, the taboo thing of depression. There's, you know, depression, it's a cloud. You don't really talk about it. But now it's becoming more and more public 
because we've had very public figures, celebrities who are, you know, committing suicide. And so people are starting to talk about it. I think there's, there's a greater awareness, I think, yeah. you know, you get on Facebook and other social media and it's, there's a lot of suicide uh, awareness, which I think is great. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I just, since you brought that up, I was like, well, let me grab official government resource data. And, but that does surprise me that it's going down. Even the no, attempted amounts are going down. Like we're going down, you know, 2%, you know, but the percentage that attempted it that were female went from 12% to 9%. That's a, that's a decent jump over two years. So that's, that's good, good to see. see. Yes. But anyways, back to Peter. <laughs> we jumped on a tangent, a Josh level tangent there. <laughs> it's contagious. I mean, <laughs> it's contagious. It's, it's still, it's a tangent with Josh. Anyway, back it. to you, Peter. Um, well, if I was to answer your question now, I'd say going through that really for the first time, having just like him bottle everything up and then just drop it all on pretty much at once was definitely a lot to take in. And I didn't know what to do or how to handle it because I had never gone through anything like that with anyone before. So I'm just like, what do I do? I want to help, but I don't, I don't know what to do. So. That's what I come to you for a lot. <laughs> Unfortunately, I had experience with that firsthand. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I get that, you know. And maybe, I guess maybe let me ask this question as a follow-up. What's maybe something that myself, Aaron, Josh, Pastor Dave, Andy, or whoever could have done maybe a little bit better to help you process through this time? You know, something that – as a teen, you might have needed that might have been able to help you process better or whatever. But maybe because we're most of us are slightly older and mature, uh, maybe don't think of that. That's that's what I said most. Because <laughs> of you, Mr. Bre- uh, Johnson. I called you Brewer. Wow. I don't feel like I'm a person anymore. Anyway, back to Peter. Why well, just hang my head in shame. Was there anything that we could have done different to maybe help and be and be honest, man. Be honest. We won't. Not different. Maybe a little sooner. But there was one thing you told me up at camp. It was I can be there and be supportive and be a good friend, but I can't try and shoulder all the weight because it's going to end up taking its toll on me. Absolutely, which it kind of did. Mm-hmm. And then that wasn't fun. So if I knew that a little sooner, <laughs> that would have been helpful. But I mean. It, it wasn't your burden to carry. No. And I I didn't know what else to do to try and help. Right. So. But that's that's also true for families. I mean, it's it's people we love. Right. And I, you know, I told you that, and I'm lousy at it. Okay. I I still carry that pain, that burden. It's um, you know, when you when you have invested in in intimate relationships with people of caring um it's it's hard it's hard to separate your your own um ownership of it and and it, it's it's hard it it's hard to put teflon in there where i am here to help you and be these things but i'm not going to let it get on the inside of me and um <clears throat> 
that's I think that's one of the hardest things for families. <clears throat> yes. It's 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 not a job. It's not something that we work at and then I go home. It's no, this is this this is a passion. This is and, and I think that's what's hard for friends and for family. Um is not letting it take you down. And I mean you you watch the um you know the divorce rates of of parents of kids with with both physical and mental problems and the divorce rate just skyrockets because it just gets inside and crushes people and that's that you know and I always come to things from the god angle and that's why it is so important to know that I can give this thing to god and that's not that's not taking <laughs> the easy way out that's genuinely doing what I can do and then with the rest of it that I don't know what to do with, I can give it to somebody that does. And that's that's where the spiritual component of being a support person is so important. You, you can't bear it. It's and for for me that, that has to be because you know there's always people in my life that I care for that are hurting. And at some point you just you gotta give it to God and walk away. That's that's a and that's a learned thing. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. It's a very oh, hard thing to do. Horribly hard. Because, you know, I know part of my personality is like, oh, I'm going to try to help as much as I can. And really, I need to back off sometimes and just let it. And that, still learning that. As much as that, <laughs> as much as that sucks. As much as I don't want to. So, anything else there, Mr. Pita? Pita. No. No. <laughs> Peter Hansen is now shaking his head violently left to right saying no. Um, we're not NPR here. We don't have to imitate <laughs> everything that <laughs> happens in the room. If we did that, I would run out of words describing what Josh is and Aaron do every day. <laughs> That's why we need video. Another conversation, another time. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Oh, my God. What is going on over there? I don't know. <laughs> They're fascinated by something. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to hear another gunshot sound over there? From, over there? from okay. Josh, yeah. yeah oh, I, was, I, was, I was looking at <laughs> beards and mustache. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know. When you called him uh, Ruer, I was like doing this, like I, cut my yeah. hair, shaved my yeah. face, and then the... A mustache competition picture showed up, and I'm like, "Oh, let's click on it." Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, mustaches are coming back into style, you know. Wow. You shave that beard and just grow out the stash, man. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. I should grow a mustache. There's something about stashes that just scream pedophile. <laughs> so I shaved the sides, right, and then I left a little spot here in the stash, and we were taking the the Mustang back to work last night and Amy was looking at me in the car and she's like, now that I see that stash, I really don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a decision then. That, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Don't, don't, don't just stick with the stash. Sure. It doesn't look good. On well, you. welcome Sorry. to the conversation, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for finally, you know, getting out of your, this is why recording takes so long because it takes a, like oh, an hour to get him not. out of his tangents.
And he goes on his own little tangents in his own little world, but then he's doing pretty well, I'd say. So far. <laughs> so far. Let's not get him remember, started. Yeah. Remember, remember the thing that Paul sent us. The what text. Thing? The Michael Scott thing. Anyways. You don't know where you're going with the sentences, you just hope to find it along the way. Oh, that yeah. one. Anyways. Yeah. Reel back in. Reel back oh. in. <laughs> you you asked what was Taking us by surprise. Yeah, because it was down. both you and Pastor Dave, so I was expecting like an argun shot sound to come off or something like that anyways. Anyways, you, you uh, did this on yourself, Mr. Uh, Johnson or Mr. Like, Brewer, do you got anything to add in from what you guys? I don't know. I, can, I can't remember what I said in the last two. <laughs> you don't <laughs> so have to. Don't just, just, just <laughs> you could continue on from wherever. Continue Say your thoughts, even if they're repeats. I don't know. My th- Josh, you... You you speak about my thoughts before I get my thoughts. <laughs> so. And then you, and then you repeat that thoughts. Yeah. So you um, go first. <laughs> nah, I'm just I'm just letting the other people here kind of speak and kind of take the floor this time. I'm just kind of in the back listening mm. and I'll I'll inject. Huh? Yeah, just observing. He's observing how to actually do a podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dang. But like in Josh's defense here, like Andy and I and Paul. We've lived the depression. Peter, too, alongside with having, you know, a leader as well as one of his best friends yeah. suffering from severe depression. So it's different for, like, Josh, who... I'm probably the least exposed person here when it comes to um, depression because Paul has done more direct conversations with Aaron and Peter. So I'm kind of like the outcast guy. Well, so, you were also the one that said, suck it up, buttercup. I oh. am also that person <laughs> who said that, too. Wait, did you say that to him while he was going through no, it? No, okay, didn't. that's no. I was like, what? No, that was that was just a trailing thought in the that, back of my head. Just, yeah, but but he's changed his thought process. But when you told me that he got admitted to um, the hospital and Pastor Dave took him, then I'm like, oh. Sun's going Not on the right phrase to use, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and that again comes from somebody who is not, you know, not apart what's the right word that i'm looking for use your words here (laughs) um uh i think that that's coming from somebody who's not fully understanding what the depths of depression can be like for people Mm -hmm. so that suck it up buttercup i can understand why you would think that unless you're actually living it with someone yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and i don't hold that against him i don't I, I, I didn't take offense when he told me finally, and I was like, yeah, whatever. I, I can understand that. <laughs> that sort of was my attitude towards it at first when I didn't really know what was going on. But then once I kind of started to understand, I was like, yeah, that's not a good attitude to have towards it. Well, for, for those of us that do not struggle with l- legitimate mental illness that, that takes us toward depression – that's what that's what our message is to me. So I woke up yesterday. I was tired. I felt kind of miserable. I got in the shower, turned on the water, and said, "Let's go." Because I, I don't have that that illness. I don't have that struggle. So I'll, <clears throat> for many of us, that should be the message. You're right. You know, for for the fake depression people, it's like, okay, no, you know. Don't don't play the depression card when you don't have it. Go get up in the morning, grab a cup of coffee, get in the shower, and 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 take control of that. That's not that's not possible for many people because of a variety of things in their life. Or if it is possible, there may be other things that 
It is not just that simple. There's, you know, because there are there are so many things, there are so many facets that lead to struggling with with depression. Um, and in fact, that's kind of that's that's been one of my experiences. And I think that's a lot of times some of the confusion mentally, psychologically, spiritually of what's going on, because there are so many different things that can feed into um, depression and and self-harm and those things, um, you know, and I, I jotted down things that I I always kind of consider through first. First of all, um for some people, there is that biological tendency. That's just, that's how the work, that's how, that's just how the brain processes. That's when it gets tired, when it, whatever, that's, that's where it ends up. Um, and I mean, we accept that in so many other things, you know, some, some people are, are gifted musically. Well, that's how the head is wired. You know, some people are gifted with math. I don't understand them. Okay. That's not my head. Some, you know, some people are, are cursed, if you want to say it, but they struggle that that's the way the biology works. Now that's, that's not, that's not a, uh, that, that can be dealt with. With, with other things, but, that, but that's, that's one, you know, so there are facets. That's one facet. And another thing is some people, it's a learned response. Um, you know, I, uh, my, my dad struggled with depressive thoughts. He, he, he wasn't to that degree, but it was interesting growing up that a lot of my siblings, we, we learned to handle life in the same way he did because it was a learned response. Like, mm-hmm. You know, rather than hitting it head on, it was like, oh, the world's coming to an end. And, 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 and your dad was in a high stress job. I mean, for for anybody that doesn't know uh, David's father, he was a farmer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I've been around farmers in the springtime. It's a, it's, it's, it's a stressful <laughs> oh, yeah. time of year. Exactly. You know. but, 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 you know, so you have some biological tendencies, some learned responses, um, and some, for some people, it's a, it's a formative experience. I mean... I've worked with so many people that have been abused as children. It's like, wow, that's that's not a learned response. That's not a biological tendency. That's not even a spiritual thing. That is the fact that somebody broke you when you were eight years old. And again, that's not that's not a life sentence that it can be dealt with. But, you know, that's the you know, so even there and then. Again, um, probably my forte is that there are also spiritual things. Some some people, very honestly, just need to get their life right with God and deal with the guilt and the sin that's in their life. And 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 it's interesting. I've I've watched the Christian community over the last twenty years try to understand the combination of. Mental illness, experiential problems, and spiritual things, and I, I think finally the the spiritual God organizations are kind of getting up to speed um, in realizing that everything you know, like you guys were discussing earlier, every, everything is not a spiritual issue or a sin issue. Now, yes, if some child was abused, yeah, that's a spiritual issue from before, but, but, you know, those, and, and so 
there there are there are no simple answers from my perspective and there there are no almost individualized treatments i mean because when you deal with someone's mental health you're dealing really with all four of those i mean paul you know we've we've talked about the fact that just biologically something in you that's that's where it goes you know you spiritually you're on track self-care you're on track you know these these other part of the reason you do well is because these other three three things in your life you're managing and so with help to deal with the biology then you know and and that's that's a challenge in in helping people too it's like wow what where where is the brokenness and um and and i i am at best a lay counselor okay i'm but but i'm an observer of 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 people's mental well-being and i i i you see all all of those things and uh you know so as we deal with people that we love um sometimes we've got to sit back and go wow i i need you know 20% biology and, you know, 20% in like, you just got to have to learn how to respond differently. And yeah, this happened in your life and harmed you. And we've got to go back and fix that. And there is this spiritual component of, of guilt or, or not trusting God, you know, there's the, and it's like, wow, there, there's, it's, it, I, people who deal with counseling, they're they're my heroes because yeah yeah it's there's a lot of components that go on it is like uh what yeah you know and like i i shared with aaron and josh you know and a couple episodes back i was like you know when i was going through that you know there were times when i was going you know god why is this not going away you know i was like what am i doing wrong Mm -hmm. what what am what you know and i even questioned i was like is there something in my life that uh, I need to, uh, you know, stop doing? Is there a sin? Is, is there a spiritual practice I'm not doing? You know, I was like, what the heck is wrong with me? You know, and, and that was part of that mental anguish of just trying to. Yeah. And, and I think a number of years ago, the church would have simply said to the church, meaning the, the church larger. Exactly. The, right. What would have simply said, oh, well, you don't have enough faith or you don't exactly, have this or whatever. Yeah. And they would have put all of the eggs in that spiritual basket. And I, I think we realize that for many people, it, it's, it, it is not all that. Yeah, I, I really think so. I, I you know, because, you know, I, I have so many people that I love who are now in this field, you know, everything from Becky to my daughter, Anna, to whatever, and watching them help people and, and understanding there is a, there is a spiritual component for all of it, but it's not the only component. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that the church and the, the, the spiritual help world is is understanding that more and more yeah and uh, uh, like i like i said i'm grateful for that you know and, and my mom i love her yeah we all do you know every, every time i see her she's like are you off those pills yet right mm. 
you know, she she's like, you, and I'm like, it's nothing. I can just pray away, mother. She's like, well, have more faith, and you can. And I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> I physically need my brain chemicals exactly. altered. If I have diabetes, I need insulin. That's right. Yeah, you can't pray away high blood pressure. You know, you have to take your pills for that. It's the exactly. same thing for you know anti you know depressant medications. So, right. And, and that's where I said, you know, we we are we are souls in a broken world and broken bodies that aren't meant to be perfect and never yeah. will be perfect. So we're all going to have those things about us that we will never be able to fix a hundred percent, no matter how hard we try, no matter what man-made substances out there. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's something they gotta, they gotta remember too, when it comes to, um, uh, dealing with people and different things is, you know, like you said, what is it that's wrong and how do we help, help align that as best as possible? Um, that's why God gave us smart people like physicians and, and researchers to, to, to come up with medications that can actually help us feel better. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful blessing, yep. you know, because not all depression is a, you know, just, you know, in your head, so to speak, it's, it's a, it's a chemistry problem in your brain and you need that medication <laughs> to balance things out. Oh yeah. I, I definitely know. Like, um, when like I go on a business trip or whatever, I, cause my doctor told me I can have, you know, one alcoholic drink a week or like once a quarter I can have more than one. So I save them typically for like my business trips. And if I have more than one drink in a week, I can feel the difference because it counteracts. Mm-hmm. Really? Meds. Yes. I, so I know the difference. So I am very careful with that because if I have, you know, maybe one a day for like a week, I'm going to be suffering for the next couple of weeks. Getting back. While my brain rebalances. Yeah. So, so, you know, beyond the fact that it can destroy my liver, the fact that it messes with my brain chemistry and counteracts the meds, I'm like, eh. Well, alcohol is a depressant. It yeah. slows everything down, yep. even within your central nervous system. Yep. So, yep. so yeah, it's one of those things of I'm just, I'm very careful with that because I know if I do that, I could potentially put myself in a very bad spot really quickly. And I learned that when we went to Dallas. You know, <laughs> that, that was the first trip I took post hospital, you know, mm-hmm. and I was still learning. I was still getting on the meds, still learning. But when we came back, man, I was not in a good spot for weeks after that because mm-hmm. my, the, all the, it took my, it, it, it took time for the chemicals to reabsorb into the body and the brain and everything. So something I learned very, very hard, <laughs> you know? Mm. So, you know, and, and that's one of those things that, you know, if, if you're going to have alcohol and you're on antidepressants, talk with your doctor, see what the interactions are, because each medication is different. Some will be fine with it, some not so much. And like Heather pointed out, it is a depressant. It will. Yeah. Not to mention your liver is having to metabolize both the medication as well as the alcohol. And it's, yeah, it's just like a marathon for your liver. Yeah, yeah which I'm sure the mm. liver just loves. It'd be like Aaron running a marathon right now. What? <laughs> I just want Not to see. A if, pretty picture. <laughs> I want to see if you're paying attention because you. Uh, I got a picture of you that looks like you were asleep. Me too. Oh, <laughs> you took one? Yeah. Well, I'm just <laughs> listening. I try. I tried snapping one before. I was gonna. I was gonna give. Oh, a I just didn't want to post it on the Facebook page. Oh, Aaron, yeah. hard at work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it takes a lot to concentrate sometimes. I can't look at anything because I'm like, ooh. <laughs> Guitar, guitar. You look at guitars again. No, I um, maybe. Okay, it was on anyway. the screen, so that's why. I just, 
But I'm no. sorry I asked. See? Yeah, you're bringing this upon yourself, my dude. <laughs> I'm sorry I asked. I was going to say something that you made me think of is the limitations of what uh, the human body has, you know, as a broken body. And I think, no, it's not that I think, it's definitely true that uh, spiritual side of things is a major component to, um, to that stuff because let's say there's something you want to do and you can't do it because your body's inhibiting you from doing it, but you've revolved your life and your identity around this career or this thing you want to do. That's going to put you in a spot you don't want to be in. Um, and when you have this, when you, when you bring the spiritual aspect into it and you identify yourself with Christ, it's much easier to live a life understanding that my body's broken. My soul is working as hard as it can to, uh, be righteous and glorify God. I know my body can't do that, but I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the fact that my body is is in a state where I need help. I need to take these pills. Um, so I think maybe, maybe one of the aspects for some people is they get stuck in this trying to get fixed loop is because they don't feel like they're actually getting fixed because they don't feel like anything's changing for them in the long run. I don't know. I've never struggled with depression before, but it was just a thought that was just kind of bouncing in my head. And I tried keeping it straight because I could easily take that to an uh. Actually, something along the lines of that, um, this was mind-blowing for me. Uh, there was a point last summer that um, it was after my son was released from the hospital the first time. Um, we had a couple weeks of going through like intense outpatient therapy and he was really not wanting to see the counselor. He just kind of felt like, what is the point of this? And as parents, we're like, well, why are you not wanting to go to your counseling sessions? And he says, it was the most profound thing to me. You can't counsel depression out of a person. The feelings are still there. The feelings don't go away. The, the depths of despair that depression causes... He was communicating to us, and we finally understood why he was being resistant was because counseling wasn't making the depression go away, wasn't making him feel better. And, you know, that kind of goes along with what you were saying, Josh. You have anything on that, Andy? I mean, that was kind of like, it was very eye-opening for us as parents to understand where he was coming from and go, oh, you know what? You're right. You can't counsel depression out of someone as far as the feelings. You could give them great, you know, ways of thinking differently to help you cope. And he got that. But what he was trying to say is it doesn't make me feel better. Anyways, uh, because like when I went through my outpatient and all that, you know, I guess, you know, I had a different experience. You know, they never tried to counsel it or whatever it away they're like okay you're gonna have these days when you feel this here's how to cope through it right. you know and so i you know i don't know exactly what they were doing with his treatment program but you know with our treatment program was like okay how are you feeling today you know what's going on this week what's going on and we met twice a week for outpatient for three hours mm-hmm. you know and okay what's going on what's going on between this session and next session da, da, da. and but they're like okay you're going to have these days when you just feel like crap. You're going to be depressed. You don't want to get out of bed. Here's some coping mechanisms. Not to make you feel better, but to help you survive through that. Through that, what they call the crisis moment. 
you know, and that, and so, you know, I think that is effective. The mo- the tools and methods, not so much counsel away the depression. Because yeah, right. And I think that's what our boy was trying to explain to us. Like the the counseling was the same as yours. Mm-hmm. Like these are the tools you you use. These are um, the ways of coping when you have these feelings or these thoughts. Yeah. But he was communicating, okay, I have these. They keep telling me the same thing over and over again, but it doesn't take away that feeling. And I think that's the difference between a child and an adult. I was going to say, do you you think that, you know, you being, you know, a a mature adult, having lived some life experiences, you know, I guess put put yourself in the mind of a teenager when you were 17 years old. Would that would those same skills have helped you at that age and that stage in your life? You know, me as a seventeen year old, you know what? That's a whole different story than like Aaron as a seventeen year old. You know, I was always kind of more that right. And everyone's different, of, of course. You know, you know, everyone's different on their maturity levels as I go through things. But yeah, I, I see where you know where they're like, especially as a you know as a teen. You know, it's like okay, this, they tell me this is the coping skill, and it doesn't immediately change how I feel. Yeah, I could see where there'd be some frustration. That being said, there, you know, when I did my being careful here with how I say this next part, so I don't break anything here, any confidentiality thing from the outpatient group. When I was in the outpatient group, there were people there who were on their third, fourth, fifth go around, you know, and they were there via court order, you know, and they're like, this isn't helping you know so they were kind of resistant that same way they were saying it's not making things better by doing these things and one of the things that the the counselor kind of challenged them with you know because it was a group counselor thing was like okay yeah it might not work immediately but this is a thing you have to rep you know do every time you're doing this you know take something you know every time that some of these feelings come up and they're like are you doing that they're like well i try it once and then if it doesn't work i just discard it basically you know, that so if you're trying it once and discarding it because it didn't work once, okay, but it's kind of the you know, it's kind of the same thing. Um, repetition, it's how we memorize stuff, you know, it's how the Bible, you know, I learned theology class kind of signifies stuff that's important repetition, repetition, repetition. If it's it, that's what helps our brain sometimes remember these things. And sometimes we kind of have to force rewire our brain that way, you know. And I, like I said, I get it, you know, especially as a teen, you're like, well, I wanted to. Especially in our current day and culture, everything has to be now, immediate. And it's not. You know, this isn't, you know, these um, th- these methods that, uh, you know, these aren't things that are immediate, you know. Uh, mindfulness, that's not an immediate thing. That's where you, you have to literally stop for a bit and just kind of take in everything that's around you and really analyze everything going on saying, is this really true or not? That's not an immediate thing. <laughs> that doesn't immediately change how you feel. You know, if me and Aaron get into a fight, you know, over a misconception on something, you know, just because we maybe clear the air doesn't immediately change how we feel. There might be some of that lingering tension still for a little bit. Same with this. Trying to communicate something to me? No. Okay. <laughs> At least not yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just the the need to have an immediate improvement um because because oftentimes for me i liken mental care with physical care so if i break a leg okay i go to the doctor and he gives me some pain meds and he splints my leg but it's six weeks before it's better 
I, I don't expect just because I had a splint that two days later, it's going to, all the pain's going to be gone and all this better. And I think that's the, the struggle in our culture is that we desire such immediate happiness and happiness is such a high priority that to struggle through something for days or weeks, knowing that there's going to be an improvement, it's just, it's, it's, it's not a value that we have as a culture, especially younger culture where everything is so immediate. I, I mean, hey, I grew up before there were microwaves. You actually had to cook stuff, you know. <laughs> And that, that world is gone um, for us. And, and unfortunately, with depression, it is not a quick fix. No. You're dealing with it for months and years. Um, and for some people, your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I know I have to put in, you know, to practice some of that stuff almost every day just to keep myself mentally healthy. Because I know what happens when I stop doing it. <laughs> I start feeling that sadness again. You know, it's something that's always kind of sitting there. Um, I, I think we mentioned, I mentioned at one time, uh, it's a video, you, you, you two have probably seen the Black Dog from World Health Organization. I don't, I don't think, think so. I've seen that. Okay, yeah, World Health Organization, the Black Dog, just, you can Google that one later. I, it, it's, it's basically them trying to, to convey to someone who has never suffered through depression what it feels like. You know, it basically, you have this little black dog. It's following you. It's there all the time. Sometimes it's a big black dog. Sometimes it's a tiny black dog. But with depression, it's not so much getting rid of the dog. You know, you're not euthanizing it. It's how do you learn to live with it? You know, how do you learn to control it? You know, you know, train the dog and live with it and, and deal with it every day. You know, it, you know, and so, yeah, it's, it, it seems weird at first. You're like, the black dog, what? But it makes sense. So World Health Organization, the Black Dog, I think they did a follow-up video about it too recently. I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it It's like five minutes. It's not that long. It's not like a documentary. Well, something kind of important for people who are supporting someone with depression too to be aware of that, you know, that depression just doesn't go away. You're, you need to be supportive of them on their good days and their bad days and understand that it can be long and tiresome and exhausting. <laughs> yep. And I think something else that's important as well, and I know I said I told this to you at one point, Andy, um, you know, when you know, when your kid went into the hospital was if you're trying to help someone, you also yourself have to take care of yourself. Yeah, and, yes. and that goes back to – carrying his burdens you know, as a father, you know, I, I want my, my, my child to be well, I want to do what I, whatever I can to take that pain away from him. And I found myself absorbing a lot of it yeah. and to the point where it brought me down to where I was feeling depressed. And, and I thought, you know, I, I can't do that. And, and what I kept hearing as I would pray about this was, this is not your burden to carry. You love your son and you help him and you do whatever you can to help him uh, to, to feel better. But, but don't let this burden bear you down. And, and also going back to what, what Pastor Dave said about, about, uh, the, the divorce rate among, um, parents with, with children who battle, um, mental health. You know, Pastor Dave actually did our, he performed our wedding ceremony for, for those who don't know. But, uh, one of the things that he, that he told us and that was, has stuck with me and will always stick with me was 
If you keep the, if you keep Christ at the center of your marriage, your marriage will never fail. I've always remembered that. And, and for Heather and I, we made it a priority to, to keep, to keep our relationship strong, to keep Christ at the center of our, of our, of our relationship, of our life. And, um, that has helped tremendously. We have to be together. We have to be united. We have to, we have to fight this together. Yeah. Because it affects the whole family. It affects the siblings. It affects the friends, the parents, the grandparents, everyone. Yeah. And that's, you know, to be honest, as someone, when you're going through that depression, you don't think of that interaction and how that impacts everyone. Because you're busy thinking of what, well, of what's going on in your own head at that point in time. You're not sitting there going, well, how's this going to impact Andy? How's this going to impact Aaron? How's this going to impact Peter? That's the last thing on my mind was the last. It was so interesting how it, how it came full circle, you know, I, and I, I, I was there for you, Paul, at your darkest time. And when it came back to us and was one of, with, you know, we're dealing with this with our, with our son, um, you know, you were the first one there to, to come to me, to counsel me, to tell me, Hey, you need to take care of yourself. You know? Well, you guys were there for me, like you said, in the dark, my darkest time. How could I not? That's just what friends do. You know, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. that's what we're here for. Well, so. and believers in Christ, this is where the church comes in. You need to stand alongside mm-hmm. your, your people to support them. Even if it's something as simple as sending a text to say, hey, praying for you today. That has been tremendous for us. The friends that send the text messages or phone calls, how are you guys doing? Just, I've been thinking about you, been praying for you. That's how you support your families that are going through depression, the individuals who are going through it. Just to let them know that they're loved and they're not there in it alone. Hmm. So something that was interesting because, you know, the, the talk about divorce and, you know, depression and how that can raise some things. Um, so there was a study, again, this is from, National Institute of Health from the government. Um, they, did, they didn't see necessarily an increase of, of depression due to divorce, but here's something that was interesting. Uh, depressed adolescents, when they became uh, adults, had a higher, reoc- <laughs> they call it an ex- excessive risk of reoccurrence of depression. And they also had an increased risk of depression switching to bipolar disorder when when their parents separated compared to their non, you know, divorced peers. So that's interesting that, you know, it's that profound of an impact, you know, even on teens years later. And so they, you know, it was a smaller study, uh, 227 depressed and the control group of 155, but they followed them from adolescent into adulthood, you know, over that time. So compared to their control group, you know, the depressed group had all that if they were divorced. That yeah, is, it is. Like not, that's not, you know, again, it comes back down to, you don't think how it impacts others, but. But we saw, how, we saw firsthand how, uh, you know, our one child's depression affected our other children oh, yeah. and they all, they all dealt with it in different ways. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it affects the whole family. Yeah. Um, and friends, yeah, as I'm looking at Peter here, yeah. um, depression, uh, you become withdrawn, you could become angry, do things that you wouldn't 
normally be doing, pushing everybody away, it, it can be hard to stick by somebody when they are in the depths of despair. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do. So I applaud you, Peter. You've done a great job because it's not been easy. Um, I had, I don't know, going with Pastor Dave when you're talking about the whole, you know, taking pain meds and stuff like that for injuries or whatever. And, it, you know, it takes time for, I mean, your body to heal. I mean, I've been through that. Um, I think the majority of everyone's been through that. <laughs> Just three, right? Well, yeah, something like that. Um, but <laughs> I guess this kind of goes back to where Josh was telling the story about me too. When <laughs> the face I make when they give me the medication or just like that reaction. That. <laughs> like I, you know, how much do can like drugs and stuff like that, like could that get you into a point where you become to a point where you're what mentally ill to a point? Like can that happen or is it all just like for you, I don't know, is it like just biological or – for me, it's mostly biological, yes. But, okay, because I was always wondering, because you have people that may be fine, but then they'll go through you know, something traumatic in their life, and they'll turn to alcohol, drugs, or whatever, and then over time, I mean, they just become a mess through all mm -hmm. that. Like, So would, couldn't that, like the drugs and stuff like that, alter, doesn't that alter your brain in some way? Yes. To the point where, yes. the point where it, it's just like yeah. it's not, it doesn't recover, or it just takes a long time to recover? Antidepressant medication? Well, or are you talking about pain meds? Oh, I guess both. Okay. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good question. So, yeah, people don't realize the effects that alcohol has on a brain. Your brain can suffer from significant damage from chronic use of alcohol. Um, it could be the kind of thing where you know, you have a cocktail every single night, but it's not enough to necessarily get you drunk, but you do it every day for years, it's going to shrink part of your brain to the point where you're more at risk for having Alzheimer's, dementia, problems with um, anytime you deal with like shrinking of, for instance, the cerebellum, it, it deals with your movement and not being able to walk very steadily anymore. So, it can mess you up. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, it yeah. can. Yeah. So, it can. I mean, and I figured, like, I mean, because that, it does have an effect on your brain in that moment. So, the more and more you do it, I, I'd imagine it, you know, could permanently do something on, down the road. Because I was thinking when you, when you're talking about pain medication, I thought about myself when having, like, I didn't, I didn't take a whole lot of pain meds during like the recovery time and stuff like that. There was times when I, I think it was oxy. I think I was given, but I didn't, I don't know. I didn't feel like I needed to take it that often. So I had a lot like left over afterwards. Like there was definitely, um, when I did have to take it feeling that huge difference. And it's just like, I, I don't know how to describe, it, but it's just like a wave. It's goes across euphoria my body. is it's what like, it's called. That. that yeah. And That's why it's yes. so addictive. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought about that because I was like, man, I've got all this leftover pills. Like, it was definitely a thought in my mind. Be like, you know, I could still use these and stuff like that. But then I had a friend over and she's like, 
she had one of her family members go through a lot of um, abuse to like you know painkillers and stuff like that. So she she took him, poured him in my drink, flushed him down the toilet. Ah, oh, good yeah. friend. Yep. Yeah. Actually, yeah. If so, yeah. Anytime somebody's dealing with you know, that urge to have that euphoric feeling when they take a medication. If you don't need it for pain, you get it out of your house and not necessarily flushing it down the toilet, but you could go take it to, they have all over most cities, they have prescription drop-off where they will legally and safely get rid of of medication so it's not contaminating (laughs) water in that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't recommend you flush your meds. Yeah. um, Well, I do remember it went into a, well, I guess, my friend technically they they put it in my root beer, and then I ended up taking that. And so I mean, I guess I kind of. That's that's good. That's good. <laughs> but but it, no, that could still yeah. be in the waterway. That's no, why yeah, they exactly. Make, but but no, no, okay. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know there was drop offs. Happy yes. fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that, uh, and, and I think we we understand that the 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 healthy medical use of opioids is is it helps us heal better it, it used within that but when you need 4 days of that and then you have 28 days left of pills in your bottle if if there is any temptation to get toward those get rid of them you know my mother with she she had a knee replacement well it was delayed because of other health issues she was she was on oxy for months you know i call her my stoner 84 year old mom elva jane <laughs> hey mom how you doing today you know um <clears throat> but it was it was a concerted effort then as she healed from her knee replacement to step off of those. Um, I ended up calling her every four hours for about four weeks as we worked her through that. And um, because she had a different plan every four hours. Love you, mom. Um, And so, yeah. And and yeah, as, as you look at not only biologically what it does to you, but that is one of those you learn to handle your problems through chemistry rather than the proper ways you you begin forming uh, you know these formative experiences of what gives you relief all all of those things lead to addiction and 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 mental struggle um yeah it's just bad news yeah and you know and especially like when you're going through that wonderful wonderful land of depression you want something just to take away that mental pain. Yeah. Again, it comes back to that. What can get away that get, get that pain away that those thoughts away quick, you know? Um, like I shared with Aaron and Josh, you know, week, uh, like a week or so before I went into the hospital, you know, um, I was definitely using a lot more alcohol than I should have been, but I was using it to numb my pain, numb my brain away just a little bit, you know? And, and like I shared with them, it was so much to the point that, uh, the bartender that we had normally at the Nash, she was like, what's wrong? You're drinking way too much. <laughs> you know, when your bartender goes, something's wrong, there's something wrong. <laughs> they know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they're going, uh, you shouldn't be drinking like this. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a bartender telling you, you, know, you shouldn't be doing that. You better hey. listen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but I, But at that point, I think things were kind of already in motion to – 
not necessarily get me in the hospital, but at least treatment wise, that something was happening, you know, at least even if I wasn't fully aware of it behind the scenes. But, but yeah. I, and then to your second part of your question, Aaron, uh, but like the antidepressants, if they mm. leave, I don't know that one. I don't know if Heather knows. If uh, any antidepressant that you're put on, um, almost all of them come with the disclaimer that, you know, it could potentially increase suicidal thoughts in that. It has to do with brain chemistry in that. So there is that possibility. And for those that struggle with that, taper them down, take them off of it, put them on something different. Anytime you're dealing with a medication that deals with brain chemistry, there's the potential for that. Yeah, and, and there was an article I read. It said something like, for those who go on to antidepressants, it's like the first six months or whatever is where it's most at risk for a suicidal relapse where they might actually take. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's the first six, six months. months. Well, um, our experience with our son is uh, the medication he was on. We just saw a new specialist. Um, we stopped all his previous medication, have gone several weeks without anything, and are starting him on something completely different. She believes that one of the reasons why he was not getting better and was continually getting worse is he was struggling with side effects from his medications. So there was a possibility of his increased depression could have been side effects from his medication. That's the tricky thing with depression. You're not sure if it's, is the medication? Is it just because, you know, their brain chemistry is just completely still off and they need something more. Um, and especially a teenager when they're still grown and their brain is still. Right. 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 And that's why after the third hospital is the hospitalization, we said, okay, we need to do something different. So we took them to see some specialists in Chicago that they get down to the, what causes the depression so that they can treat it appropriately. Yeah. Rather than just saying, oh, you're depressed here, take this pill. Oh, you're still depressed, let's try this pill on top of it, where you're just continually like multiplying pills in that, and they're not getting better. Yeah, right. And, you know, like I, when I was talking with my doctor originally to get, you know, when they're deciding what pill to put me on and everything, it came down to like, okay, is anyone in your family taking medicine for this? Because they want to know that because, you know, genetically, some pills may work better than others. You know, so, you know, if, you know, if I ever have kids and they're like, oh, and they hopefully if I ever have kids and they hopefully they never have to suffer through this. But if they do, you know, I can say, okay, this medicine worked for me. This medicine didn't work because that will be the basis then for them on what kind of their treatments would be. With our son, uh, with this new specialist, they did a DNA swab and they took his DNA and put the pharmaceuticals with it to see which ones worked best with his system and which ones didn't so they could already take out that oh. that big error of like guessing so they could say okay we know without a doubt these medicines are the best ones to work with his system and these are the ones you want to stay away well, and, from and it was interesting too because one of the medications that came up on the list of you know don't take these was ones that he was a medication that he was on oh and it actually, it was making the problem worse. He, you know, and his psychiatrist that prescribed that to him uh, to begin with said, this may actually increase his depression and uh, put him at higher risk for, for suicide. And it, it turned out that, unfortunately, that was, that was, the case that was actually him. the case. Mm-hmm. 
did did the doctor want to take your DNA samples to to compare or, did, or not? No, it was just him. Okay, uh, just for the pharmaceutical it would be, stuff. It would be interesting, yeah. to to see your profile yep. in comparison. Well, and the cool, th- I think it was called um, gene site testing. I'll have to look it up. I'll let you know for. Okay. Um, but they, it wasn't just the psychotropic drugs like the antidepressants. They checked him w- um, with like pain medications anti-anxiety medications, like a whole list of things that, and it was like fascinating to know, okay, if he ever ends up with another surgery, which with him is a highly (laughs) likelihood, (laughs) um, yes, um, that there are certain pain medications that are not going to be working well for him. And I have a list of the ones that are in the green light they will work well for him. So now I'm, it I've got like, yeah. Maybe, maybe we could do a group outing. Let's all, yeah. let's all go. <laughs> See, you know? I've never heard of that. Yeah. Either. That's awesome. Yeah. It was truly fascinating. It was eye opening because after the, after the third, his third, you know, admission to the hospital, it was, it was quite honestly the definition of insanity. Like, you know, something has to change. Yeah. So we, we took him to the amen clinics in Chicago. Um, I highly, yeah, I highly recommend looking them up. They do, it's a completely different way of treating people with mental illness, brain disorders. Um, They do what's called spec scans where they do um, scans of the brain to check for blood flow. They do one under concentration where he had to like, like do a test Mm. and then have the scan done right afterwards. And then he had another one where he was at rest. So they want to see what the brain's doing at rest and when it's concentrating. And then he does like, he did a ton of like cognitive testing on top of it. So they take all of the results and then they look at it and say, okay, in, in these images, we see that he's, his brain is lit up in this area. Even at rest, he's suffering from severe anxiety all the time. His brain cannot shut off. Mm. The area of the brain that's supposed to be leading the rest is like turned off. So then they could say, okay, these are the issues that we see with people, the diagnosis that they have when we see these images. So then we were able to come at it with true tests, true images of the brain to say, this is what your diagnosis is. Now that we know what the diagnosis is, yeah. we can treat you appropriately. So the the diagnosis of bipolar disorder was completely incorrect for our son. And he was being treated incorrectly hmm. because he truly never had a manic phase where he was up for, you know, days in a row because he was sleeping at night. So he was on the wrong medications. That's actually encouraging to hear, though, that treatment and diagnosis like that is coming yes. along like that instead of how it used to be, <laughs> you know, I, and I'm glad now that they actually got him hopefully on the right meds that are. Right. Exactly. And the amount of history and evaluation questions that they asked myself, him, and then after meeting with the psychiatrist, we met with her for like two hours and 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's a long time to meet with the doctor yeah. where she asked more questions to be sure that we were getting the correct diagnosis. We've never had anybody spend that amount of time asking those questions before to be able to get to right. the diagnosis. 
Yeah, because I remember in my inpatient, if I maybe saw the doctor in that entire week, 20 minutes over the entire week. Yeah. That's not a lot of time. No. <laughs> and our experience with with uh, his main psychiatrist, you know, before we took him to these specialists, we would get maybe five minutes in a room with him. Oh, you're having mood swings? You're bipolar. Here, take these pills. Take these pills. Come back in a month. Yeah. yeah. And we'll repeat the cycle. And it was a vicious cycle. Wow. So, but now it, I feel like yeah. we're finally on the road yeah. to to recovery, and uh, it, it, it's been fascinating, eye opening. Oh, yeah. um, and there are a lot of people within the the psychiatric community that are like, no, he, you know, the Amen clinics that they're oh, it's he's a quack. They're just doing things different because they've recognized that the history of the way we've done things has not worked. Right. They understand that, okay, if you have a heart problem, the first thing you do is you look at the heart. So they are in the whole, like, clearly, if you have a brain issue, we need to look at your Let's brain look at first. The brain, see what's yeah. happening. And then go from there. Yeah. Wow. So, so, yes, there are lots of resources out there that if depression is not getting better, there are other avenues. Yeah, especially, you know, wow. Because, yeah, if you're only getting, like, to see the doctor for, like, five minutes once a month. Yeah, ooh. See, I at least got a good half hour with my doctor, like, once a week for the first few months. So, And for us, I think it was a little bit – there's difficulty finding health care for children, adolescents. Yeah. There are very few providers and therapists that are that are trained – to treat children. Right. And I think that's where we struggled. Well, there's a shortage overall. Oh, very much so. Uh, even for adults, there's a shortage. Yep. So, I mean. The waiting list to be seen by a psychiatrist anymore, it, it, it could be six months or more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for somebody who really needs help, yeah. that, that's just, that's yeah. unacceptable. Yeah, you know, I, I think they try to fast track those who maybe are coming right out of inpatient or like who are suicidal. But yeah, if you're not one of those, yeah, you might have to wait six months, and that's in that six months, things could just deteriorate. That was our so experience. Quickly. We were on waiting lists for you know a good m several months, and it got to the point where our child was suicidal, and we couldn't wait. So yeah. we had to do the inpatient route, which then we were able to expedite it. Yeah, that just expedites a whole other list of things. Yeah, whether you wanted to or not, sometimes no, and really, that's not the best way to go about it. No, but. Like you said, they're a little overwhelmed with the amount of patients trying to come in and the fact that there aren't enough providers and specialists. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I saw some predictions um, because of the place I work for, and they are predicting long-term um, a shortage in the mental health capacity of staffing. Like, they're actively trying to figure out how to encourage more people to study and become providers in that area because they're like, we don't have the staffing to do this. And that, you know, and that's only going to get worse, especially as, you know, our population continues to grow. Various factors of which cause depression are probably only going to continue to increase. And we're going to see that over and over and over again, unfortunately. Now, like I I think, you know, you've, you or Andy or Heather, you said this, you know, it's good now that people are actually talking about it now. 
You know, it's not as stigmatized as it used to be. Still stigmatized, not as bad anymore. You know, there was a whole thing going around Facebook uh, a few weeks ago uh, where basically they were like, okay, take a picture that you posted when, you know, things weren't really good and then, but you pretended they were good and tell the real story behind it. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I didn't see that. I saw it and it's interesting because uh, it was three days before my son was admitted to the hospital for the first time we were at a wedding. And so we had all these pictures and in the pictures, he's smiling and having a grand time. And yet at the same time, we didn't recognize even as his parents, how in desperate need he was of needing help. Yeah. And for us, it was really hard to see those pictures when he was in the hospital, knowing he was hiding it so well. It's so easy to hide it too. It is. I did it for many, many, many years. Because the last thing you want is for anyone to figure out <laughs> that you're, you're a little broken inside and need help, which is very counterintuitive if you think about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, we as Christians, we say we're broken, we're sinful, we need Jesus. But at the same time, we say we're broken, we're not good mentally, we need medical help. We can't, we can say the first one, fine. Second one, we have so many problems saying, at least I do. And a lot of our people I know do. It, it's weird. It's just, it's a little, it's a little weird. I'll admit sometimes. But Josh, Aaron, Pita, say, don't look at me and call me Josh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I started okay. that way. I just saw your head go like this. And I was like, mm. yeah, because I was gonna go. Anything from you three, mm-hmm. Pastor Dave? Anything from you? No, 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 nothing. Peter, you've been very quiet. I'll give you a chance if you want to say anything. If you have any questions for any of us, or do you want us to ask you questions? <laughs> or do you just want to be quiet? I don't really have any questions at the moment. Okay. Fair enough. Till next time. Any last comments from I'm looking up the name of that test. You're looking up the name of the test? Okay. So <laughs> you're like, I'm looking up the name. I guess I will say it is It is unfortunate to hear that when it comes to um, stuff, uh, especially related to the mental side, that you have to actually find somewhere to go to actually really want to try to help. And it's not, I'm not saying that doctors at other places don't want to help, but they do have a lot of pressure from uh, the hospitals and so forth that, all right, you got to get in, you got to diagnose, got to prescribe them, get out, go to the next room. And um, now my mom doesn't struggle with mental health, but she has uh, severe nerve damage, diabetes. Um, she has sleep disorder, uh, sleep issues now. Um, so her body's just falling apart. And for her, when she first started the whole trip, she was in and out 15 minutes. Nobody was really able to sit down. And so she's been able to find these specialists that would start, you know, spending two or three hours with her, just kind of understanding her body and where it goes um, and what it does and how it responds to different things. So they can they can try to help her. So it is good to hear that there are places out there that will spend the time to make sure that when you walk out that door, you're heading to a brighter place, a better place, and not coming back with the same issue. Yeah, we're definitely happy we found the, we found the Amen Clinics uh, when we did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it sounds like it's good, especially, hey, sometimes you just got to have a little different approach to do things. 
<laughs> and it is called Gene Sight. Gene Sight. Yep. Okay. G E N E S I G H T. Oh, well, that makes sense. S I G H T, sight like vision. Got it. All right. Um, beautiful. Well, thank you all for coming. Wow. Something just made a noise. Oh, I know what that is. I'll edit that out. Uh, thank you all for, I'll get back to what I was saying. Thank you all for coming in, talking, even Peter, even though you're a little quiet, buddy. Nay. That's all right, man. We still like you. You can come back whenever. We'll talk about music stuff. You want to know what my dad told me that we should talk about? What? He said talk about whether the new Tool album is actually going to come out or not. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's about right for you and your dad. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned for the next episode. Yeah. That will be an Aaron only special. <laughs> Aaron yeah. only with Peter. Has yeah. to guess. Hey, that'd be fun. Hey, there you go. Um, so I guess... Last words I have to say, uh, like I said, thank you all for coming. So leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us out. Um, you can check us out. All of our links to where we're at is on gopod.me slash words. And um, that has a link to everywhere we're at, whether that be iTunes, Stitcher, just the direct RSS webpage, or you can listen right there on gopod.me slash words. Um, and I will end this by saying this. Uh, if you or someone you know is dealing with suicide or depression and doesn't have someone that can reach out to, the, um, even though it's an hour wait, as we heard from Andy, um, maybe their chat line's a little bit faster. They do have a chat line. I don't. Know I did not know that. that. Yeah, so it's definitely worth a try. Yeah, yeah so you can go right on the website and chat like at, at like in a little text box. So, you know, for the millennials here in the room who don't like phone calls as much <laughs> and younger. Hey, I called you. You didn't pick up. Hey. Uh, so the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Or if you go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org, you can also uh, click on the chat with Lifeline. It is free, confidential. And there's also on there, I don't know if you knew this as well, There. There's stuff on there training for people who are family or friends of people going through mental health on what you can do and maybe some support for you as well. Hmm. So it's not just for people who are dealing with it. It's also people who are trying to help them with it. Excellent. That's great. That's great. So, again, that's suicidepreventionlifeline.org, you know, for when I can talk English properly. But that being said, if no one has anything else, no? Okay. Mm-hmm. No? You sure, Johnson? Mm-hmm. Sure? I'm positive. Are you sure? 110%. Mm-hmm.